Amen. Thank you guys for leading us this morning. This morning, I've asked for Dustin and Deborah Harper and Rosalind to join us today, and Dustin is going to speak this morning. I believe he has a message that the Lord wants us to hear, and I'm thankful for his willingness to come and share with us what all the Lord's done. Dustin, come join me here, my friend, so we can pray for you. Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity for the Dickinson family to join us today. And Lord, we pray for the continued comfort. And we just pray, God, that you'll just use Dustin, Lord. I know, Father, your spirit has shown him today what to say and how to say it. And I just pray, God, that you will speak to our hearts and that you will be glorified. We praise your holy name. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Tell you what, first of all, I'm going to try to hold it together this morning, so bear with me. But what a blessing that you guys have in this worship team. I mean, my goodness, these guys are so good, and the gals, I mean, it is fantastic to come in here and see the hard work that they put into worshiping the Lord. So let's give them a, one more round of applause real quick. So as Lee said, my name's Dustin Dickinson, and for starters, I'd, I'd like to thank you, Lee, for the opportunity to, to come and speak today. My wife and I started attending the crossing here back in around 2018, and about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I felt like the Lord was calling us to, to relocate, and so we had an opportunity to move up to Sunset, Texas. For those of you who don't know where Sunset is, it's about the size of this table, but it's right off of 287 uh, between Decatur and Bowie, about an hour and a half north of here. And uh, when we made the decision to leave, honestly, leaving the, the church family was, was one of the most difficult decisions uh, behind us uh, leaving and going. Um, over the course of, of the years that we had been here, um, we had been welcomed with open arms, not only by the, the church staff, um, but also many of, of you within the, the congregation. Um, and before I get too deep into, into my message, I want to I wanna give a couple of, of people uh, special thanks for, for being a part of my family and, and the growth that we've had within the Lord over the last several years. And to start with, uh, our small group, um, the Lewis family, the Steenies, the Morrises, the Wards, the Stalls, and, and several others um, that we met with pretty regularly on Sunday nights to take a deeper dive into the word that Lee provided for us and to pursue um, fellowship with not only one another, but also fellowship with, with Christ. <clears throat> and in addition to that, I had a, uh, an opportunity to be a part of a men's Bible study here. Uh, we, we gathered at 6 a.m. every Monday morning. It was a, a lively group. Uh, sarcasm uh, entered there. Um, but obviously, Lee was a part of that group and helped us, and Terry and Jason and Bob and Mark and Bruce and several others as well that 
you know, had the opportunity to meet with his men and, and dig into the word and, and, and grow together towards Christ with a group of strong believers that we helped each other through life. We helped each other through the hardships. And I'll, I'll talk more about that here in just a little bit and why that's um, so important. And then, you know, obviously I, I, didn't, I didn't have the opportunity to mention every family here. Um, but, you know, the, the, the other families that have been involved with our life uh, and, and, the, and the church staff, um, you know, Sean, where are you, Sean? Oof. Uh, so Sean's a youth pastor, and uh, he uh, has been very instrumental in, in helping shepherd my children to, towards Christ. And uh, didn't plan to be quite as emotional as I was when I saw him today, but I pretty much broke down when I saw him. And the gratitude that I owe you, brother, is, is, is unbelievable. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm eternally indebted to you for that. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, you're probably wondering why is this big redheaded guy in a cowboy hat up here blubbering around a little bit. And, um, you know, so, so our story, my wife, Deborah and I, like I said, we, we started joining this church here back around 2018. And, uh, and like I said, we, we recently moved to Sunset. Um, well, tomorrow... Tomorrow marks the, the four-month anniversary since we lost our 11-year-old son, Devin. He was in a, in a, in a tragic ATV accident, which he was, he was not driving. There was an adult driving. And, and make a long story short, there was a uh, pretty severe head trauma that, that ended up costing him his, his life. And, you know, as you can imagine, the last several months has been incredibly difficult, not only for, for me, but, but for my family and my wife and my, my two girls, Harper and Rosalind. Um, and then the rest of our family, we've got the, the Dickinson corner over here today. But as people have, have come up to us and, and asked us, you know, checking on us, uh, they, they tend to ask, you know, how are you doing? Which is, a, you know, a well-intended question, but it's not really the, the best question in the world. But the thing that I found myself really kind of my, my default answer was thank God for my faith. I thank God for my faith through through this tragedy, and and honestly, I don't know how how anybody in the world could go through a, a loss like this. All losses are difficult, but especially loss of a child without being being rooted in their in their faith. And so, through these hardships and, and through these these challenges, uh, one thing has remained very constant: is I've been able to see God at work within our lives, and my my prayer to God has been, you know, through this tragedy is that, Lord, please just let me see you at work. Let me see how you can take something that's this disastrous and use it to glorify the kingdom. And, and I got to tell you, I've had a front row seat of seeing how, how God has been at work, not only in my life and my family's life, but in the lives of, of those around us. And so, as, uh, as we've gone through this, this mourning process, this theme of faith keeps reoccurring. And so the, the title of today's message is, is Faith and, and Relationship, because I believe that they go very hand in hand with, with one another. And, and so we're, we're, we're talking about faith and faith and, you know, thank God for my faith. And um, I had an experience here a few weeks ago that really just kind of set things over the edge for me and, and wanting to dig into, into this faith concept a little bit more. See, um, my wife and I, not to give too much personal information, but we're going through a grief share group. Um, and it's, it's been interesting 
to see um, you know, the process of grief and how people deal with it. And one of the, the guys that's in our, our class, um, he's obviously suffering a, a loss of his own. And um, you know, the wound is still very real and it's still very, very fresh with him. And after class one day, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, does he have a group of men to, to lean into? Does he have a strong group of, of believers that, you know, he can support? And, and I could tell that, that, you know, there was an opportunity for me to disciple to him. And so we actually stepped outside and started chatting a little bit. And in the conversation, as I was discipling to him and telling him about Jesus and telling him about the love and the grace and the mercy that the Lord so freely gives us, he made a comment to me that really resonated and he looked at me and he said, man, I wish I had blind faith like you do. And I'll be honest with you, at first I was, I was actually pretty, um, pretty humbled by that, that comment. Um, but as he continued talking and I was thinking through that statement of blind faith, I decided to rebuttal him quite a bit. And I said, brother, let me, let me tell you something. And I said, I, while I appreciate the statement, the reality is, is that what I have is not blind faith. What I have is experienced faith. For in my life, I have experienced the goodness of God. I have experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of God. So to sit here and, and act like what I have and, and the thing that's given me strength through this process is blind faith is wrong. What I have is experienced faith. And so as we, we kind of went along our, our separate ways, I really started thinking more on this, this concept of faith and, and what is faith and how do we define it and, and how can we put some structure and some context around it. And so we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this today talking about faith. And uh, for the note takers in the world, um, I went to Miriam Webster as a starting point of defining faith. And Webster defines faith as this, number one, it says, belief and trust in and loyalty to God. Number two, belief in the traditional doctrines of a religion. And then number three, firm belief in something for which there is no proof. And holistically, you know, I, I, think, I think Webster gets a lot of things wrong sometimes, but that's a pretty good, you know, umbrella of, of faith. But the dictionary is one thing, and the Bible is a completely different thing. So also reference the Bible for examples of, of faith. And, and one of my favorite pieces of scripture around defining faith is in Hebrews 1.11. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause there for just a second. You know, if you, if you sit back and, you, and you, can, you can allow yourself to see God at work, it's amazing how he's always moving. And a, and a real experience um, was, for me, was earlier this week, I went back and watched the sermon from Denton for last week. And for those of you that were here, Denton talked a lot about Abraham and his faith, and his relationship with God, and the trust that he had with God. And I saw Denton earlier today, and I said, man, you, you couldn't have teed it up any better for what I'm going to talk about today. But two men, quite frankly, I'd never met Denton before today. 
and certainly didn't coordinate with him in dueling messages of, of the gospel. And so for, for God to put that on his heart, um, to prelude what he had put on my heart to speak about, it, it's, it was a, an amazing moment for me to see God at work. But going back to our, our biblical uh, examples here is number two, again for my, my note takers, is uh, in Proverbs uh, chapter three, five, for, five through six, it tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And then number three is in Psalms 1830. I love this one. It says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven he is a shield to all who trust in him. And so as, I, as I'm going through scripture and, and digging into this, this concept of faith, one of the, the things that jumped out to me right away was the, this relationship there is between the word faith and, and the word trust. Uh, and a little fun fact for, again, my note takers of the, of the crowd here, is that the word faith is mentioned in the Bible roughly 250 times kind of important. Uh, conversely, the word trust is mentioned roughly 190 times. And so as you can see, there's a, there's a really close pairing here between the word relationship, or sorry, the word faith and the word trust. But you see, what's, what's interesting about that is that trust is established through relationship. Trust is established through relationship. And, and the example that I like to, to give on this is, you know, I, I know probably about half of you, you know, loosely, the other half we've, we've never met. If I were to walk up to one of you and say, hey, toss me the keys to your truck, let me run to the gas station real quick and go grab a soda, you're probably gonna look at me like, what is wrong with this guy, right? You got a big funny hat, right? I don't trust redheads, right? Like, <laughs> I get that. Um, but you're, you're not going to trust me because we don't, we don't have the relationship. But if I were to go to my dad who's sitting over here in the corner and say, hey, Pops, toss me the keys to your truck. I'm going to run up to the gas station and grab a Coke. He's not going to think twice, right? He's going to throw his keys over to me and, and off I'm going to go. And the reason that, that he's going to do that, the reason that he trusts me is because he and I have spent years building our relationship. And so... This is a really important concept to understand here is that to, to truly have faith and trust in Christ, you must have a relationship with Christ. And so a few years ago, you know, when we were exploring churches, my, my wife and I, I'm in the oil and gas industry, so I've done my tour around North America. And um, when we decided to start coming to, to the crossing, um, we actually had an opportunity to sit down and, and have uh, dinner with, with Lee. And I always say that pastors have a, a really difficult job in, in trying to, to shepherd this flock and all the personalities. Um, but man, when, when they have the opportunity to really break through and, and help somebody, it's, it's got to be an amazing thing. And Lee, I'm so grateful for you. Um, but when we had dinner with Lee, 
he came over to our house and we're sitting at the, the table and you gotta gotta interview the pastor, right? Make sure he's legit. And you know, when he when he showed up on his Harley wearing his, his overalls, I was like, that's my man, all right? <laughs> but uh we were sitting down and we were we were talking. At this point I was I was really really immature in my faith, to be honest with you. I was, you know, I was doing a lot of things, checking off a lot of the boxes, you know, trying to consider myself to be a Christian, but I wasn't really pursuing a relationship with Christ. And when we're talking to Lee, you know, asking about his story and where he had come from and what he and Susan had gone through, you know, one of the things he kept saying is, is, you know, the Lord led me here and the Lord led me here and the Lord said this and the Lord said that. And I was like, time out for just a second here, right? I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not fully grasping by what you mean when you say God talks to you, right? Does he talk to you audibly, right? Like, what's going on here? We're, we're interviewing each other, right? <laughs> but when I asked him, I said, so, so really, how does, how does God talk to you? And he said, well, God can talk to us in many, many different ways. He said some of the main ways, though, that, that, that Christ talks to us is, is you know, one through divine intervention, says, I believe wholeheartedly that, that God will put people within your life to speak to you through them. And so divine intervention is, is one way that, that God will, will talk to us. The second is, is one that sounds pretty simple, uh, is reading the word, right? There's, there's a reason that we call it the living word of God is because every time we plug into the, to the Bible, every time we dig into Scripture, this is the most direct access that we have to speak into God and for God speaking to us every single day. Number three is through prayer. Spending time alone in, in solidarity, in, in prayer, and in connecting to God the Father um, is a very, very important way for us to get connected and create spiritual alignment with, with God. And then lastly is, you know, through the Holy Spirit. And, you know, often we define this as, you know, the tugging feeling that we have and, you know, the, the, the voice in our head. And, and I was like, all right, this is, this is the one we're going to spend some time on later. Right? We're going to talk about <laughs> how the Holy Spirit talks to you. I said, so here's my... Here's my million-dollar question is, is, you know, when I'm, when I'm getting this, this, this feeling and, and this tugging and this pulling, it's like, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit and it's not Dustin being a psychopath? <laughs> and, uh, and Lee kind of laughed at me that way as well. Um, he said, well, you know, there's a, there's a couple litmus tests that we can, we can give ourselves to test whether or not this, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us or not. And um, he said, number one is, is it biblical? Is, is the message that you're getting through the Holy Spirit, is it biblical? Uh, does it align with scripture? Um, number two, does it glorify God, right? If, if he's pulling you to do something or, or take an action, is, is that action biblical and does it glorify God? And, and then number three is, is it repetitive, right? God's very persistent, <laughs> and uh, if, if you're getting this repetition of something that is biblical and something that glorifies God, pay attention, right? And if it doesn't pass any one of, of these three litmus tests, 
It's probably not the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, I can tell you right now, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's something else. And we can also turn to, to Scripture to get some reinforcement for that statement. And so if we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have, which you have heard is coming and even now is in the world. And that's a completely different sermon, the last part of that. But the point is, is that there are biblical litmus tests that we can lean into to understand whether or not we're, we're hearing, hearing from God. And so I said, all right, Leo, that, that all sounds good, litmus test, and, you know, is it biblical, is it repetitive, you know, all these other things. And I said, so, but, you know, I still don't, I still don't know how I'm going to recognize that voice. And, and Lee gave me a story, put it in a way for me, that has forever impacted my life, and, and I will tell this story to the day that I die. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know, um, many years ago, I was a professional racquetball player. No, I don't know why y'all are laughing. Uh, many, many, many moons ago, I, I played football. I played football for the University of Houston, and then I had a, a short career with the Seattle Seahawks and the Buffalo Bills after that. And so Lee, Lee put it in football terms that, you know, us jocks have got to relate to. He said, so let me ask you a question. He said, when you were playing football, Dustin, uh, he said, what was the biggest crowd that you, you ever played in front of? And uh, I had to think back, and, and my senior year in college, we played Alabama in Bama on their homecoming, um, and we almost beat them. One touchdown. Um, but it was, it was close. But uh, he said, well, how many people were, were in, in attendance? I said, man, it was something like 96 or 98,000 people. I mean, it was, it was a tremendous crowd, right? Again, Bama, you know, at their homecoming pinnacle of, of kind of their, their run there. And he said, so those stadiums, he said, are they designed for the sound to, to come down onto the, the field or, you know, on the sidelines or where is it loudest? I said, oh, man, they are, those, those stadiums are designed 100% for that sound to funnel right down, right down onto the field. It's like, it must be pretty loud, huh? I said, oh, absolutely. And he said, so... You also had the band, right? And I actually say bands because in college, the, the traveling team will, will go you know, with the football team. So you've got the home team, Alabama's band. You also had University of Houston band, which as you can imagine was, was pretty loud. And then in addition to that, he said, well, what about the, the PA systems, right? The sound systems. And, uh, you know, were they, were they any good? And I was like, you know, Bama's wasn't as good as Houston, right? But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Houston, we could throw some bass out there, right? Uh, but needless to say, it was, was incredibly loud. And then in addition to that, we've got, you know, the, the lights flashing and, and cheerleaders and, and the, the drill team and this and that and the other. And he said, so you got 96, 98,000 people, not one but two bands. 
you've got the PA system, you've got all the, the distractions of the world. He said, so when you were on the field playing football and your coach hollered at you from the sidelines, did you hear him? I said, every single time. Every single time. He said, so you could hear your coach, you could hear the voice of one man above 96, 98,000 people, above two bands, above the PA system, above the lights and distractions, everything else going on right there in the middle of that football field, 50 yards away, you could hear the voice of one man. He said, the reason you could do that is because you had a relationship with that man. You see, when I was playing ball in college, not only did my coach and I spend time together on the field for the games, but we spent an incredible amount of time together in practice. We spent a lot of time together in film study and, and in film study and film study. Uh, I went to dinner over at his house. We went golfing together. We were in the weight room. And so over the course of these, these several years, I had spent an incredible amount of time with my coach building a relationship with him so that above the distractions of everything going on in the football field, I could hear his voice. He said, so the question I've got for you, Dustin, is how well can you hear God's voice? How much of a relationship do you have with God? How much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you spending in the word? How much time are you spending in fellowship with other believers to further pursue growing your relationship with the Lord. And I would, I'd like to challenge each of you with that same question. How much time are you spending growing a relationship with the Lord? And so as we, as we take that, that story and that analogy and we try, to, we try to gain some application, I believe that as Christians, the, the best example, obviously, of, of a life well lived that we can refer to is that of Christ. And so I think it's important for us to, to understand how did Christ live his life? And let's, let's look at him for the example of how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. And what are some of the things that he did to grow his relationship with God the Father? Um, and again, for my note takers, there's, there's five bullet points that I have here. Is number one, Christ knew scripture. From the, the time he was a young man, he spent lots of time in the synagogues and, and knowing and learning scripture. Number two, Jesus spent a lot of time alone in prayer. There are multiple accounts through the gospel where Jesus is talking to a crowd or he's with his disciples and all of a sudden they look at him like, where'd Jesus go? And, and, and he had gone off by himself in, in solidarity to have prayer, to connect to, to God the Father. Number three, he had fellowship. I think we can all, you know, very easily look at the 12 disciples that Christ spent, you know, a lot of time with, but, but it was bigger than that, right? He had relationships with Mary. He had relationships with Martha. He had relationships with Lazarus. He was always spending time with, with fellow believers and iron sharpening iron. Number four is that he loved. I've heard Lee give lots of messages on this. But Jesus showed us a love 
that surpassed the confines of traditional human religion. And the best example is what he did, right? Christ stepped down from his throne in heaven to come be in the flesh and to live a perfect life that nobody else had had ever been able to do, nor will ever do again. And then beyond that, he sacrificed himself willingly for us, for our sins, for our transgressions, and he did it to the people that were dragging him to the cross the whole way. If that's not an example of love, I don't know what is. And we can also turn to to his words and the things that Christ told us, which is the, the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And on this one, I think we'll, we'll have some parallels here in just a minute, so bear with me. But I believe that love in the, in the English language specifically is very limiting. Uh, I believe that, that the word love, if we treat it more like a verb in an action word, it better suits what it is that we're supposed to do. You see, love, love is beyond a feeling, right? Love is beyond an emotion. Love is in an action, right? And for those of you that are married, those of you that have kids, you understand this, right? Because let me tell you something, love is changing the diaper on a three-month-old, right? <laughs> love is, is taking chicken noodle soup to your spouse as they're laying in bed because they're feeling sick from the flu, right? Love is an action. Love is a verb. Love is not a feeling. And we'll talk a little bit, a little bit more about that. But the number five on my list here of, of applications of Christ is he discipled to others. And, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this one because this is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I have a very dear friend of mine, um, his name is Greg Gray Wonder. And I met Greg back in uh, 2017. And, um, you know, this point in my, in my faith, I'm, I'm, like I told you earlier, I'm going through a lot of, mo- of motions of being a Christian. And I'm going to church, and every now and again, I get wild and crazy and throw a $20 bill in the plate as they pass it by. And, you know, just, just living the the shell of a, of a Christian life, and, and Greg could recognize this. And so for months and months and months, Greg was, was asking me and recruiting me to come to this men's retreat with him. And, and at the time, I'm, I'm working and, and uh, you know, crazy busy, and I said, man, I appreciate it, but, you know, I can't go. A couple months would go by, and he said, hey, man, they're having another get-together, this, this men's retreat. You know, I'd love for you to come. Man, I'm busy with work. I can't go, right? Um. The only time in my entire life I had gotten to a place professionally where work was just, it was terrible. It was awful. Um, and, and the only time in my life I ever just quit a job. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You can have it back. And uh, Greg being Greg, about 10 minutes into it, he picks up the phone and calls and says, hey, man, you got this, uh, this men's retreat, and you can't tell me you're busy with work. Nothing like the love of a brother, right? And so he was very persistent on me, and I said, well, you know, Greg, I, I agree with you. I'm not busy, but, you know, we just bought this big fancy house, which was stupid. Um, we, uh, <clears throat> we just had our youngest daughter, Rosalind. I think she was about literally two months old at the time. 
And I just quit my job and this and I was like, man, I, you know, I've got the time, but now I can't afford it, right? Very convenient, right? And he said, well, he said, good, because they, they've got a scholarship. And we've already got you covered and I'm paying for it. So now I'm completely out of excuses. So Greg completely disarmed me um, in, in not going to this, this men's retreat. And so long story short, <clears throat> went up to, to Southern Oklahoma and spent the weekend in this men's retreat. And, and that was the, the moment that I personally received my salvation. Sitting underneath an oak tree in southern Oklahoma by myself in prayer was the first time I experienced God. And nothing anybody can ever say, do, twist, contort, can take that away, right? And it completely changed the trajectory of not only my life, but my, my eternity in my family's life, in my family's eternity. And so because of that, that moment, because of that experience that I had with God underneath the oak tree in Oklahoma, I came back on fire for, for Christ and, and really dedicated myself in a lot of ways, trying to be the man that God's called me to be and shepherding my family and my wife and my kids towards God and, and towards Jesus. And in the process of doing that, my son received his salvation. And so if you want a real world application of why it is so important for us to disciple to the people around us, there you go. Because Greg was relentless in discipling to me and pulling me towards Christ, I had the opportunity to receive my salvation and lead my family and ultimately lead my son to his salvation. So if you're looking for a real world example of the power of discipleship, there you go. And so as you can see, as, as we go through these, these applications, there's a, there's a lot of action here. Right? There's a lot of, of commitment and time and prayer and reading the word and discipling and fellowship. And so the the synopsis that I, I really came up with here in, in, in my prayers is that faith is the hinge point where belief and action are coupled. Faith is the hinge point where belief and action are coupled. You see, they've got to work synonymously together and in unison with one another. Because you see, believing in the cross, believing in the death and the burial and the resurrection and the power that's in, in Jesus' blood, while that is incredibly important to our salvation, that alone does not separate us. And we can turn to Scripture here and see in James, which we'll spend a little bit more time, James chapter 2, verse 19. James is the, the half-brother of Jesus, for those of you who don't know. He says, you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You see, the, the demons know how important the cross is. The demons know the importance of Christ and his life. They know that. They intellectually understand that. But, but what separates them is they don't have faith. They don't have the hinge point of action and spending time with God and spending time in prayer and growing a relationship with Christ. 
And we can also turn to, to Scripture to further recognize the other side of the equation here, which in Galatians 2, chapter, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 through 21, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And I think that's incredibly powerful. And we'll take it one step further, referring back to James again in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, where James says, I think this is, this is unbelievably beautiful. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you say to them, go in peace, stay warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some of you will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And so as you can see here, the picture that I'm trying to paint here is that faith is a two-sided equation. It is the, the cognitive and mental understanding of the importance of, of the cross and, the Christ, and Christ and the blood, right? Without that, there is no salvation. But we also have got to grow in relationship with Christ to be able to live our lives faithfully. You see, belief in Christ the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the first step in living a life by faith. Then yielding to God's will will result in transformation by action. And so I'll close out with a couple of other thoughts, which is again in James chapter four, verse seven and eight, it says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And so that, that piece right there in understanding the, 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 the structure of faith and trust and relationship is right there, right? Christ wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to desperately. He wants to have a relationship with us. The question is, is, like Lee said to me, what are we doing to improve our relationship with him? And so the last story that I, that I have about relationship was actually a piece of, of marital advice that I received many moons ago from my father-in-law. See, Deborah and I were, were young and, and we were dating at the time and um, Rusty and I were talking and he said, you know, Dustin, he said, most people get relationship wrong. 
And the reason that they get it wrong is because most people view relationship as a 50-50 relationship, right? You do your 50%, I'll do my 50%, we'll meet in the middle and we'll sing Kumbaya and everything will be good. But for those of you, again, that have, have been in marriage or, or have children in longstanding relationships, what you understand is that we go through seasons, right? We go through seasons where it's easy to put in our 50%. But then there are seasons where it's like, man, I can only, I can only put in 25%. Well, see, so now the problem becomes if I'm only putting in 25%, but Deborah's still putting in 50%, we've still got a gap. We've got a gap of, of 25%. And so for a relationship to truly withstand the test of time and to be strong and enduring, the relationship has got to be 100 and 100 You see, both parties have got to be willing to go the full 100%. When I'm not willing to put in what it takes to, to run our marriage, Deborah's got to be willing to go the full 100% and bring me back across, and vice versa. When she's going through hardships and she has challenges and she just has nothing left to put into it, I've got to be willing to go all the way and get her. Now, the beautiful part about this is Christ is always willing to go his 100%. Christ is always willing to go his 100%. So again, the, the question that I have is, is how much are we putting in to our relationship with Christ? And so with that, I'll, I'll invite the band up to, to close us out, but I do have a, a couple of closing statements here. Is as we, we, we kind of reconstruct everything that we, we've talked about here today, there's a lot, right? We throw, we threw a lot out there. But as I was in prayer, God put it to me like this. By spending time in the word, in prayer, and in fellowship with other believers, you will build a relationship with Christ. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, you will learn to trust him. And when you trust him, it is easy to be faithful to him and to submit yourself in your life freely to his will and to his calling. So, Father God, we're so grateful for today. Lord, we're so grateful that you're always willing to go the 100% to have a relationship with us. Father, we're so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful for your son, Jesus. We're so grateful for the price that he paid for our sins, even though we were not worthy. Father, he freely laid down his life for us. And so Father, as we go out into the real world with all the noise and the distractions of the lights and the bands and the Facebooks and the, the Twitters and the jobs and the family drama and the work and everything else, all the other distractions that we have in our life, Father, help us to set that aside and to seek a relationship with you. Father, help us to be bold within our faith. Lord, help us to be the inspiration to those around us. Just like Greg discipled to me, Father, and help change the trajectory for myself and my family. Father, allow us to have that boldness in our lives. Father, more than anything, we just, we're so grateful that you're always willing to have a relationship with us, that you long to have a relationship with us. And Father, all that we have to do 
is seek and we will find and knock and we will, you will answer. Father, more than anything, thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's his name we pray.